then, then by nature you should do what? You should do what Jesus does, right? You should be Christ-like, and that's, that's that process of growing in Jesus. How do we grow in Jesus? How do we grow in our faith? How do we become more Christ-like as we, as we walk with the Lord? One of the ways that is, is we get in the word of God because it's the revelation of God himself to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so we get in the word, we read the word, we study the word, and, and we spend time in, in, in fellowship, in prayer, and assembling ourselves together. So, hey, the message today, um, well, actually, let me, get, let me back up just a little bit. Um, so Easter, that was, a lo- that was a, originally a big, big long um, explanation to encourage us as, as a church community to do two things on Easter to invite people, bring people, and then also to, to love the people when you come Sunday. When you guys come Easter, if you're a part of this church, here's, here's what I expect from every one of us as Christ followers in this church, is that on Easter Sunday, and every Sunday really, but especially on Easter Sunday, that when you come, you come with the expectation to serve somebody else. Somebody say amen. amen. You're like, they better serve me. <laughs> I better have my coffee and my seat warm and... Um, it's kind of warm. Speaking of warm, it's hot in here today, huh? Or is it just me? I'm just, I'm just kind of hot. Um, so we have these um, flyers in the back. They're, they're invites. They're printed. There's probably like 200 of them back there. So I would like for every person in church on your way out, Mike's going to stand at the door. He doesn't know it yet, but he's going to stand at the door, and he's going to give one of these or two of these to each of you as you're leaving. And so we encourage you guys to put these on your fridge, put them in your car, um, use them to invite your neighbors, your friends, hand them out, and then also use it as an opportunity to pray, okay? So, and then um, 8.30, we just want to do a family kind of fellowship time for Easter, so we encourage you guys to be a part of our breakfast on uh, Easter Sunday too, amen? All right, so in our Bible study today, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 27. We left off last week in verse 49. Actually, not last week. Pastor Jay preached for me last week. Let's hear it for Pastor Jay. I heard he did a killer job. So, um, so we had some new folks that I met this morning that came for the first time last week. And so I, I apologize to them that they'll be disappointed after hearing Jay preach last week that they got to they gotta hear me now. But um, so... We left off last week in verse 49, and um, I'm titling this message, Access to God. Look at your neighbor and say, Access to God. Okay, that, that's a concept that um, I, I want to really, really impress upon you guys today. Yeah, I want to keep it in context. So as I'm talking today, as we're going through the message, as we're going through really where we are as Christ followers, I want you to keep it all in the parentheses of access to God. If you do that, I think it'll all make sense. Amen? All right, so let's, let's look at um, Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse number 49, where we left off last week. And, and this is Jesus um, dying on the cross. Jesus has um, been nailed to the cross at 9 a.m. in the morning. He was, he was um, severely beaten. Um, most men would have, would have died through, through the scourging and the beating that Jesus received prior to this. Um, after he received a, a, 
uh, 39 lashes with a cat of nine tails, which would have completely hamburgered his back and his sides and his flesh. They put a bag on his head and they punched him in the face. His face would have been swollen. Isaiah tells us that when Jesus was on the cross in, in a prophecy 400 years before crucifixion was ever invented, God tells us through the prophet Isaiah that, that the Messiah would die on a cross and that his, his face would be marred beyond visage which meant that no matter what picture you've ever seen of Jesus on the cross, the reality is that because of the blunt force trauma to his face, his face would have been swollen and black and blue and, and, and cut and, and, and very, you couldn't look at him, just be like, ugh. And it would have been deformed looking upon the cross. They placed a crown of thorns upon his head. Then they placed a, a beam across his back. And, and, and typically Roman crucifixion, you didn't carry the entire cross. The vertical part of the beam would have already been there. And you would have carried the horizontal piece on your back. And as you guys know, Jesus left the praetorium, the Roman um, place where they, where they whipped him and scourged him and beat him. And he had to walk from the praetorium to Calvary or Golgotha, the place of the skull, um, our church is named after that Calvary Chapel. It's the place where Jesus dies on a cross and he leaves the praetorium and he goes down a famous stretch of road between the praetorium and Calvary that we all know as the Via Dolorosa as Jesus walked it to, to Calvary. And then there beaten, hung on a cross at 9 a.m. And at 3 p.m. Jesus dies upon the cross. He hung upon the cross for six hours. And the, the soldiers come and, and they, 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 they break the legs of the two thieves that were crucified next to him. And when they came to Jesus, the, the soldier um, went to break the legs of Jesus and the other soldier said, it's no need, he's already dead. And had, had that soldier broke the legs of Jesus, he, he, all, we could all go home because the, the Bible wouldn't be true. One prophecy fails in the Bible, then the whole Bible is not true because it's the word of God. It's either all true or it's not. And the Bible says that not one of his bones would be broken. And so if that soldier, after he breaks the legs of the two thieves on either side, if he hits Jesus, then a prophecy fails. But he pauses. And the guy says, he's already dead. And the guy said, well, I'm going to make sure. And what did he do? He took his spear and he jabbed it into Jesus' side. And the Bible says blood and water came out. And Jesus was dead. So that's where we are um, in verse uh, Fifty. I don't know if you guys could tell, but my uh, my back went out yesterday, and I'm trying to stand up straight. But it says in verse something good must be happening. My whole left leg is going numb. God's going to do something today. <laughs> Satan's trying to stop it, but it ain't going to happen. In verse fifty, it says, "And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit." And then somebody say, "Then, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom." And the earth quaked and the rocks were split and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those who were with him were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the son of God. And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to him were there looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Joseph the mother of Zebedee's sons. And now when the evening had come, there was a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. 
And this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in clean linen cloth and he laid it in his new tomb, which had been hewn out of the rocks and rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate saying, sir, we remember when he was still alive, how that deceiver after three days said, I will rise. You know, what's interesting about verse 63, his enemies remembered that Jesus said he would rise after three days, but his own disciples somehow missed it. In verse 64, it says, therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day lest the disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. So um, what happens in verse 51, and I asked everyone to say that word then, behold, what happens? The veil of the temple rent from top to bottom. Now, now we read that, and, and does it strike anybody as like a major significant event that just happened that the veil of the temple rent from top to bottom? How do, you, how do you perceive that? How do you understand that? Now, if you don't understand, listen, Jewish culture, and you don't understand what's represented by the veil itself, you're going to miss that verse altogether. So we're going to spend the next 25 minutes or so talking about just that verse and the implication of what that meant when the veil of the temple was rent. I think it's so radical. I think it's so encouraging and so powerful that it really will change your life today. I really believe that if you take advantage of um, what that says, then, then you'll leave today a different person than you came. In Hebrews, in chapter 10, Paul tells us exactly, um, exactly that. And he wants us to, um, take advantage of the veil of the temple being rent. in verse 19, listen, this is the vein we're in today. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, what's the holiest and where is the holiest as Paul tells us having a boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. What does that mean? Where's the holiest? Well, well, before Jesus died on the cross, the holiest was what was behind that veil or that temple that rent. And before Jesus died on the cross, it was one of the most sacred and, and one of the, the least visited places on planet Earth. And, and it was so guarded and sacred and, and reserved only for the very finest and the very few. That holy place that Paul tells us in, in Hebrews chapter 10 that we should enter by boldness. Somebody stick out your chest and say, that's me. I'm bold. I'm boldly going to go into this place. Listen, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Who's the high priest today that's over the house of God so we don't miss that? Come on, somebody. Jesus, right? Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart 
in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. You know what verse 25 means, chapter 10? It means pass yourself by God's house. It means take your butt to church. That's what it means. Okay, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, no, but if you're a Christian, you should want to go to church. Right? What's wrong with you? You're a Christian. You should want to go to church. I don't like that church. Well, then find a different church. Take yourself to church, right? It's, it's, it's assembling of God. There's a purpose for it. There's a biblical reason and purpose that God's called each one of us to assemble together on a, on a regular basis. And Paul tells us, do not forsake the gathering together of the brethren, which is the practice of the heathen, he says, um, in the manner of some exhorting one another so much more that you may see the day approaching. So in that vein, I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 19. Somebody say Old Testament. Heck yeah. Love me some Old Testament. We're teaching the Old Testament on Wednesday nights. We invite you folks, if you're interested, to come out 7 o'clock on Wednesday nights. I'm teaching through the Old Testament, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We, we covered such a powerful chapter on Wednesday night, man. We covered um, 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. That's where David sins with Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. He kills Uriah. He, he's hiding from his sin. Nathan comes to him and has to has to dime him out on his sin and David repents and such a powerful chapter that song that they sang today I think was it was right out of what we studied on Wednesday night It was right out of the heart of David asking God for forgiveness after his sin with Bathsheba but all right in in um, in Exodus what I want to highlight and I'm going to spend just a few minutes going through it so bear with me but what we're going to highlight is what we call um, the Moses model. Everybody look at your other neighbor, the one you didn't look at when you said access to God, and say the Moses model. Okay, so we got two topics that we don't want to forget to keep everything um, nice and tidy today, okay? Because I cover lots of stuff, so try to, try, to, try to narrow it down when I can. Access to God is, is, is the title of the message. That's what we're talking about today. By the time we're done, I want you to see what kind of access to God do every one of you have, Okay? So, so think about now as we get to the answer and, and, and see if, if what I come up with matches what you come up with. But ask yourself right now, what kind of access to God do each one of you have? How accessible is God to you personally? Is there um, somebody in your life, is there somebody in your circle that has better access to God than you do, that when you need access to God, that, that if you go to this person, that, that they can help you gain access to God. Is that, is that a true statement or not? You don't need to answer it now. Just think about it, okay? And then, and then in, in answering the question of access to God, what I want to do is I want to teach, I want to talk to you guys about what exactly is the Moses model and what does that mean, okay? And if you understand those two things, again, I really think that, uh, your, your Christian living will, will get uh, encouraged today, really encouraged today. So this is what the Moses model is, okay? The Moses model starts really with Moses in the Old Testament. We're going to pick up the narrative in chapter 19 of Exodus. In chapter 20 is a famous chapter in the Bible. Exodus 20 is famous because in Exodus 20, we get um, the Ten Commandments. Have you ever heard of the Ten Commandments? 
Okay, well, that's where it's introduced to us in the Bible narrative is in Exodus 20. So God is about to show up, and in order to give us the Ten Commandments, and then eventually, as Moses is going to spend um, 40 days and 40 nights, somebody say 40, okay, not 40 ounces, right? We got rid of the 40 ounces. Um, 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain called Sinai, which is probably today in modern-day Saudi Arabia where Moses would have been. And he's going to meet with God for 40 days and 40 nights. And during this season, God is going to give Moses what we call the law of Moses or the law or the, you know, the, the Old Testament way that men and women are supposed to relate to God or have access to God or be saved. And so the, the, really the Bible of the Old Testament is going to be given through Moses to the people And it begins right here, and it's going to begin in Exodus 20 with the Ten Commandments. But to set that up, this is the way that God wanted to do it. This is what God said. Talking to Moses in verse number 12, he said, Moses, and Moses said, yes, Lord. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't say that. They they did talk like that, though. Verse 12, it says, you shall set bounds for the people around you. Somebody say bounds. Somebody say back up. Because that's what God's going to tell them, basically. Back up saying, take heed to yourselves that you do not, do not, somebody say, do not, go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. You shall surely die. It's so funny. You guys ever watch any of those like survivor shows like on Discovery Channel or, you know, it's funny, right? Because like a dual survivor or whatever, naked survivor or, um, but it's the narrative from, I'm sure the producers is always the same, right? Like, Everything that they do in the show has potential for death. You know, the lead guy is like, you know, you got he's a little creek of water, and he's like, when you step over the creek of water, you got to watch out for the rocks, that you don't twist your ankle and fall over, or else you will die. And it's like, you know, they really try to over-dramatize the whole thing, that everything they go through is die, you're going to die. Well, God here, he tells the people that you will surely be put to death if when Moses goes up on the top of this mountain, I'm going to come down and I'm going to meet with Moses. And, and as, as I do that, if anybody gets too close to the mountain, he's going to be put to death. God says he tells Moses to make sure that there's not a quail. There's not a rabbit. There's not a goat. There's not a sheep. There's nothing that gets in that cloud or on that mountain when God shows up or else it will surely die. Okay, you guys got it. So Moses in verse, uh, so I'm sorry, let's go verse 13. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. And when the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sacrificed the people and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day and do not come near your wives. Then it came to pass on the third day in the, in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountains. And the sound of a trumpet was very loud so that all the people who came, who were in the camp, trembled. You know, in, 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 the, in the concept of having access to God, has, it, has anybody ever thought like, um, maybe if I had access to God like the disciples, Right. How many of you guys think it would be cool to have, like, Jesus in the flesh who, um, who you, you could have access to? Would that make you a better Christ follower? Would it give you better access to the will of God for your life if, like the disciples, you had Jesus right here in the flesh? 
Or, or you look at, at, at people like Adam. Do you know what God's intention was for you and I and, and is for you and I? The Bible says that God created you. And some people don't like this. I don't know why. But if, if you're one of the people, um, I, I, I sympathetically say to you, tough, get over it. You don't have an option. Like, it is what it is. But the Bible says that God created you for his good pleasure. God wanted to have a friend. God, God didn't want to have a pet. Okay, you're not God's pet. God wanted a companion and a friend. And that's why the Bible says, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Abraham was known as the friend of God. You you know what God did when when he created Adam and Eve in the Garden Garden of Eden? You know what God's will and God's good pleasure was? He walked with Adam. He came down. You know what he did? He read Genesis. He came down and he hung out with Adam in the garden. God enjoyed it. God just came down and spent time until, until when? Until Adam sinned and, and, and he broke fellowship with God. And, Adam, and God showed up that day, I'm sure, expecting to have a, a great day. I think Adam and God had a game of pinochle going on, and they were like half finished, and they were going to finish the rest of it. And God showed up, you know, and he was going to walk with Adam and hang out with Adam. And Adam was nowhere to be found. And God said, Adam, where are you? And then Adam like peeks around the bush and he's got fig leaves sewn around his private parts and they're itchy and he hurts and he, he's like, well, and God's heart was broken. And, and, and by his mercy and grace, he kicks, he kicks Adam and Eve out of the garden lest they eat of the tree of, of life and stay in that condition forever. And so instead he moves the tree of life into heaven and, and one day we'll get to eat of it. But God's intention was, was for fellowship. God's intention was for intimacy with his people. Do you know what God's intention was in the Garden of Eden? Um, it was fellowship and intimacy. Do you know what God's intention is today? It's the same thing. It's the same exact thing. It's intimacy and fellowship with you and communion with you. You know, do you guys ever read the story of Enoch? Enoch was the guy after Adam, maybe a contemporary, definitely a contemporary with Adam, but, but, but maybe 100, 200, 300 years after um, Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden. There, there's a guy there, and his name is Enoch. And God developed a relationship with Enoch, and it says that God would walk with Enoch in the cool of the day. And it says one day, Adam, uh, God and Enoch were walking and, and, and Enoch was not because God took him. He's a picture of the rapture. But God, God takes Enoch just up to heaven because they were such good friends and having such good fellowship that God just takes him to heaven. So we, we look at that kind of access to God and we envy that. And we think, man, if I could have that kind of access to God, then, you know, I would be a better Christian. But, you know, something that's hard to swallow, but it's true. Jesus said to the disciples, he said, it's better for you if I go. Because if I go, I'm going to send a helper to you. So if you take that at face value, which we all should because it's true and Jesus said it, then your access to God through the Holy Spirit is better than that of the disciples in Jesus' day. It's hard to swallow because think, oh man, if Jesus was here, it'd be so much better. Well, that's not what Jesus said. Because Jesus was limited in that season. Jesus, Jesus had emptied himself and he had become a man and he was in the flesh. And in his flesh, he couldn't be in all places in all, at all times. And so he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the comforter, to gain that access to God. Well, listen, this, this thing that, that we're studying today, this radical shift in human history, and I want to 
um, get back to painting the picture a little bit of it. But um, so, so we have Moses who's called to go up on the mountain. Now, um, one last thing before we get back to Moses. Don't let me forget we're going to get back to Moses because I'm going to get off track here in a minute. But, um, hey, men, let me ask a question. On the, on the job site, maybe, I think of on the job site, you know, like, you ever have that saying, like, don't be that guy? <laughs> you know, like, I, or whatever happens, like, you know, I just don't want to be that guy. Like, I had something happen to me recently, you know, and I never wanted to be that guy, but I became that guy. <laughs> and I am still to this day that guy, but I can't, nothing I can do about it now. Like, I, I am that guy, right? Like, but, but you, you, you don't want to, you know, we use that saying, right? Whatever that guy does or whatever that thing is, you know, if you look in the group, you're like, I just don't want to be that guy. Like, you know, but in heaven, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to try to help you out. You, there's a certain person like you don't want to be. And one of the things that this is key, key, key to the message today. Listen, one of the things that that should motivate every one of us is is a day that's in your future. And, and, And some of these days that are in our future, we can't wrap our minds around them because we think, man, they're so far off. And it's something that's going to happen in an eternal setting. It's outside of space and time. But one day when you breathe your last, whether you breathe your last here on earth or whether Jesus takes you in a rapture, you are going to have a judgment day. You are going to stand before Jesus and you're going to give account. Now, listen, it's going to be the most glorious day of your life. For the first time ever, 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 you're going to see the eyes of love looking back at you. True love. What really love and true love is. And I don't care how much your mama loves you. I don't care how much your spouse loves you. I don't care how much you love your child. It's impossible for anybody to look at you with the most purest love, with zero regret, with zero doubt, with with complete and full love, knowing everything about you. And you'll see that for the first time when you see Jesus. And we all live for that, right? That's, that's, you know that blow up of I can only imagine? How powerful that idea and that thought was? I can only imagine? That's what I'm talking about. That, that moment when you see Jesus and the, the guy who wrote the song so filled with the Holy Spirit, he said, on that day, what's, what's it going to be like? Am I going to fall down at your face? Are we going to dance? Am I going to begin to worship you? But anticipation for that glorious time in history when you're going to stand before Jesus. Now, I'll tell you which guy you don't want to be on that day. As you stand in that, in that line, in that anticipation, the Bible says that we want to, we want to have something um, to offer Jesus on that day. You want to give him the, the things that you did for him. The, the life that you spent serving Jesus, and on that day, everything up to before or after, nothing will matter but that moment, what you have in your hands, because it will represent the entire life that you spent here on earth and what you did with the days and the hours and the minutes that God gave you here on this earth. And the things that you do with those hours and days, they're placing things in your hand that one day you're going to give to Jesus. And on that day, you don't want to be the guy in line that has empty hands. You don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be the guy that shows up and has nothing to offer. Because on that day, if you have nothing in your hands, you're going to try to put something in your hands to offer Jesus. And guess what's the very best you're going to be able to come up with on that day that I can only imagine is excuses. 
You're, you're going to, and as we see in so many different parables and Bible narratives, the guy came up with excuses, and the landowner came back, and he said, what did you do with the talents that I gave you? And he said, oh, well, you were an austere man, and I was afraid, and so I, I didn't want to mismanage it, so I took your talents and I buried them. And he had only excuses to offer. And listen, you don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be the guy that when you meet Jesus or the gal, that all you have in your hands is excuses. And so, you know, we, we want to, part of what we want to do today is take your excuses away from you. You guys ever have any, hear any good excuses? You ever use any good excuses? Nobody? My, my, my dentist in Yucca Valley, um, he, I don't know, he, he, he was great dentist, good guy, loves Jesus. And uh, one day I'm in his office and we were friends outside of there as well. And he, he, for whatever reason, he starts telling me all the excuses he's heard over the years of practice that people have used to miss their dentist appointments. You can only imagine, right? And he tells me this one, and this is like 20 years ago, and it still plagues me to this day. So if I share it with you, then you can live this way with me and be plagued for the rest of your life remembering this. But he said one guy called and said, I, I can't come to my dentist appointment today because my cat has diarrhea. <laughs> True story. I read a blog about excuses that people give not to go to church. And one guy said that, that, that the church is too far to drive, or it's too far to walk, and it's too close to drive. Another guy said, I, I can't come to church because I couldn't get the lid off the peanut butter jar. I said, well, your problem isn't church. Your problem is you're a sissy. <laughs> Another guy said, oh, I can't go to church. Both of my girlfriends go there. <laughs> uh, so the excuses, I had one pastor tell me, which we definitely don't have that problem here. He said, people say, oh, I can't come to church because the pastor's too handsome and he causes me to stumble. <laughs> oh, just kidding. I give you donuts from your fat boy pastor. Um, so excuses, excuses that we don't want to have right on that day that we, we stand before Jesus. So back to Moses, I told you guys to remind me, you guys forgot, you let me start talking about cats with diarrhea and peanut butter jars. Hey, look at, we're still in Exodus 19. It says in verse 21, it says, and the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to gaze at the Lord and many of them perish. And then in verse 24, it says, then the Lord said to him away, get down and then come up you and Aaron with you, but do not let the priest or the people break through and come to the Lord lest he break out against them. Turn with me, if you will, to chapter 20, verse 18. So just turn the page to 2018. And the narrative continues, and it says, And now all the people witnessed the thunderings and the lightnings, flashes of the sound of the trumpets, and the mountains smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. And then they said to Moses, listen, listen to verse 19. It's, it's, it's shifting here, okay, and it's important. It says, You speak with us, and we will hear you, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you. And, and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near, and the thickness and the darkness was there. This is kind of the summary or the result of, everybody say, Moses model. Okay, so God invites the people to come near. So Moses goes up on the mountain, and God shows up, and it's, and it's, it's, it's miraculous. It's God um, biblical proportions, lightning and thundering, and it's ominous. And the people are very afraid, and they, they know this warning that God's given that if any of the people get too close, they're going to die. 
So in the next scene, the people come to Moses and they say, Moses, listen, we're content if you go up and meet with God and we're going to stay back. Even after the invitation, they say, no, we'll stay back way over here, far away from God. And you just go up and talk to God. And when you go up and talk to God, he can tell you and you can come back and tell us what he said. This is the. One more time. This is the what? This is the Moses model. It is the Moses model alive and well today. Okay, it, it defines 90% of, 100% of religion. It defines the way that people wrongly approach God to this day. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. But, but the Moses model was God's plan for 4,000 years. And for 4,000 years, um, we had an office called a priest. And the job of a priest was very simple. A priest was a go-between between men and God, like here in the Moses model. So the priest goes and he meets with God, and then God talks to the priest uh, about the people and, t- and, and to the people. Then the, people, the priest comes and he tells the people what God said. And then the people respond to the priest, and he goes back and tells God what the people said. And this is the way that God set it up. Now, now, what's going to happen to Moses? He's going to step over the creek and somebody else. Moses is going to step over the creek and die, right? Eventually, Moses is going to die. Now, what's going to happen to the Moses model after Moses dies? It's going to grow legs. It's going to grow wings. It's, it's going to define, and again, rightfully so, the, the way that, that men relate to God for thousands of years. So powerful, in fact, that it's alive and well today. How many of you guys have ever been to confessional at the Catholic Church? Okay, what do you do? You go in the one side of the confessional, and what's between you and the priest? A veil, a screen, and you you talk to him, and then what does he do? He talks to God, and then God talks to him, and then he tells you what God says and what your penance is, and and that's a Moses model. We, We have put before us over and over again in every religion, we've kept alive and well for some reason this Moses model that the priest is going to go between us and God. Right? Powerful is it? So, so powerful is it again that it just, it just will not die. And, and then after Moses dies, God, God builds um, through Moses that continues a tabernacle. Anybody familiar with the tabernacle? Okay. The tabernacle was a tent that, that God gave right here in, in Exodus 20, 21, 22, in this time up on Mount Sinai. God dictated to Moses the dimensions for a temporary dwelling place for God. It had, it had a big rectangle tent that went all the way around the outside. It had an outer court and then an inner court and then, um, and then it had um, a, a, an entry place. And then as you go in deeper into the tent, it wasn't very big, probably not, not, not any bigger than the size of this room. And, and as you go in, at the, at the very end, the very last place that you go through in this tent, this tabernacle that, that Moses and the people would use to worship God through this entire season up until Solomon, and, and David one day is looking out. David's in his palace. Israel is growing. They've conquered Jerusalem. They're building cities. And, and David is in his palace in Jerusalem, and he looks out over the wall, and he sees the very tent that Moses built, And he says, God, I'm dwelling in a house, and and you're still dwelling in a tent. God, I want to build you a house. 
And he goes and he gets the prophet of his day. And he says, I want to build God a house. And the prophet is so excited because the king wants to do godly things. And the prophet's job is, is spiritual welfare in the, in the nation of Israel. And so when you have a king that wants to do spiritual things, he gets super pumped and he says, okay, King David, go do all that's in your heart. That's awesome. And then, and then the prophet Nathan, he goes home and God says, hey, yoo-hoo, Nathan, I didn't tell you that David could build me a house. Now guess what you got to do? You got to go back and tell King David, the most powerful man in the world, that if he gets upset, he might say off with your head. And you get to go back and tell him he can't build me a house. But don't not to worry. Tell him I'm going to build him a house. And so David's not able to build the house, but David's son Solomon then builds the temple. The same temple that's in Israel at the time of Jesus. Just remodeled once over by the time Jesus got there. This temple. And now the same model of, of, the, of the tent that had this holy of holies is built in, in, in a brick building. And for thousands of years, another thousand years, until Jesus, that you would go there and worship. And there was all of these rules. And as a Gentile, you had the court of the Gentiles. But when you got to Solomon's temple, there was a big sign. And if you tried to get past the big sign that said, if you're a Gentile and you pass this point, you, you will be killed. And they would absolutely kill you. To this day, when you go to Israel, and you go to the Western Wall, the only part that remains of Solomon's temple. The men and the women are separate. There's a court of the women and court of the men. And, and, and we worship and pray on, in different areas. And it was very segregated, Solomon's temple. And it was very isolated. And, and Gentiles got to come so far, but no farther. And then others would get to go in a little bit farther. And eventually you come to the place that's called the Holy of Holies, where God's presence dwells. Anybody ever heard the term Holy of Holies? Okay. What, what was in the Holy of Holies? It was the Ark of, Ark of the Covenant, right? The same Ark that Moses built with, with, the, with the angel with the spread wings across the top inlaid in gold. And once a year, the law of Moses said that the high priest of Israel would go into the Holy of Holies and he would sacrifice a lamb. And, and on the mercy seat, he would ceremonially take all the sins of the nation, all the sins of God's people, they would put him upon the sheep. They would sacrifice the sheep. They would take the blood of the sheep and they would put it upon the Ark of the Covenant. And, and, and that in that, God's mercy would, would cover our sins. And the blood of lambs would cover our sins. And then John the Baptist says, Behold, one is coming who will take away the sins of the world. A huge difference between the lamb that would cover the sins of the world. A big difference between having your sins covered and taken away. And when Jesus came, that lamb was a picture of what Jesus' blood would, would do, would take away. And, and, and for, for thousands of years, only the high priest. Now, if you've ever, you've just got to Google it, right? Google high priest in Israel. And the garb that these guys wore was god-awful, right? It was, God, it was, it was the breastplate was full of 12 gems representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Big, huge hats like the Pope. I mean, all this, this kind of stuff going on. And, and I mean, really, really powerful and influential guy was the high priest of Israel. He was the only one that was allowed to go in once a year. How did you become the high priest? And once you were the high priest, you were the high priest for life. And, and so maybe the high priest, if he lived to be a long time, what if you're next in line? What if you grew up in Israel? And, and your, your whole desire, your whole life was, was to be in the very presence of God and to go into the Holy of Holies where, where the Shekinah glory and the presence of God dwelt. 
The, the history tells us that they would tie a rope around the high priest's ankle with, with, with bells on it, lest he went into the Holy of Holies and, and he hadn't um, cleansed his own sin first and he fell over dead, that they wouldn't go in after him lest they fall over dead. They could pull him out with a rope. And, and so the entire world sees this, this temple of Solomon, one of, the, one of the wonders of the world. It would dwarf what, what is the Dome of the Rock today in that place where it would have sat next to it three times taller and bigger and covered in gold. People would travel from all over the world to see it. And inside there, at the very, the very center and the very climax of what was there is this room called the Holy of Holies, separated by what? A veil, the veil of the temple. And to go through the veil of the temple, only one person once a year. So, so many um, who were born into the tribe of Levi the Levitical tribe was the priestly tribe. So if you wanted to become the high priest one day, you first had to be born with the right pedigree. So if you were, if you were born in one of the other 11 tribes or Gentile, no chance you're ever going into the Holy of Holies. And you would live your whole life desiring to see it or be a part of it, and there was no chance. Not invited. And, and then if you were like second or third in line to be the high priest and to maybe get to go in one day you're you're desiring to get in you're waiting for this high priest to die maybe some would die before him and never go in and and this desire to to be in this holy place for so many for for so long weren't allowed weren't invited didn't have access so it, it helps paint a picture of what a big deal it is and what's about to happen. Turn back to Matthew. It says, then, somebody say then, the veil of the temple torn from top to bottom and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. So Jesus dies on a cross. Listen, Jesus didn't even raise again the third day before he invited every one of you to come into the Holy of Holies. Then the veil of the temple, Jesus dies like, and then immediately the veil of the temple. The first thing that God does when Jesus dies on the cross, he doesn't wait for him to to conquer sin and death and rise again on the third day. I mean, Jesus isn't dead for seconds and the veil of the temple rents from top to bottom. And God says, you can all come in. Everybody. What do you mean? Gentiles included? Yes. You're all invited to come in. Amen. Right. I mean, the power of what happened when Jesus died on the cross, we miss it maybe because we're not Jewish. We don't understand the significance of what that meant. And, and now you all have access to God. The veil of the temple rents. And, and God says, everybody come in. You know, there's something that happens here that I, I missed forever. And I probably read it, but I don't know why something as crazy as this didn't just jump on me. But let's look at verse 52. It says, the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And listen, coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many got dead people. Talk about the real walking dead, right? Not this trash we watch on TV. But we got dead people walking around the city of Jerusalem, what do you think that their message was? Maybe they were out in Jerusalem telling everybody, hey, the veil of the temple rent and you can all come in. 
You can all have direct access to God. You can all be directly in the presence of God anytime you want. And then God takes the Holy of Holies. And Jesus had already told us what was going to happen. He said, I'm going to take the Holy of Holies and the power of the presence of God, and I'm going to place it inside of your life. I'm going to put my Holy Spirit inside of you. Do you know where the Holy of Holies is today? It's in your bathroom. It's in your car. It's in your closet. It's, it's wherever you are and wherever you want to spend time with God. That's where the Holy of Holies is. And yes, Diane, it's in your heart. The magic is in your heart. And, and, and so the Holy of Holies is with you. And you have as much access to God as anybody else. And I don't mean to step on anybody's toes or offend anybody with this, but it's just the truth. You do not need a priest to have access to God. You do not need a a bishop. You don't need a pastor. You do not need me. I can't help you get any closer to God other than just point you, right? You, You don't need, I don't have anything that you don't have access to yourself. You have the word of God. You have the presence of God that lives inside of you and you have an invitation to come into the Holy of Holies, a place that for 4,000 years men desired to go and were never allowed. And now you have access. That's what happened when the veil of the temple ran from top to bottom, right? Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Well, I don't have anything else. That was it. Like, how would I go after that? Let's uh, have the worship team come up. How about that? Let me tell you this. I'll close with this as the worship team's coming up. In Hebrews chapter uh, 1, verse 1, it says this about God and, and to back up what we're talking about. And then Paul tells us, we already read a verse in Hebrews chapter 10. And it says, God, listen, who at various times in various spoke in times past to the fathers by prophets. So God tells us um, in Hebrews chapter 1 in English that in times past, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, okay, where do we live, you guys? Last days, he says, but in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son whom has appointed heir of all things through whom he also made the worlds. So today God has spoken through his son. So today you don't need the the presence of the holy of holies. You don't need um, anybody to help you access God. You've all been given the most amazing opportunity and invitation to come directly into the presence of God. And you have no more excuses. You know, the excuses I hear all the time. You know, part of this message, you guys, it was born in my heart because of the men's discipleship class that we do here. And what was happening was a good thing. The men um, were growing in Jesus really, really well. And I mean, they were really catching fire. Their wives would corner me and say, I don't know what you guys are doing in the men's discipleship, but man, keep it up because my husband is really growing in Jesus. My husband, is, his life is changing and good things are happening. And we're, we're reading the word and we're growing and we're, we're becoming friends and, and, and brothers in Christ and, and really focusing on that, that process of becoming more like Jesus. And God is really ramping it up in the hearts and lives of the men through this discipleship class. And then discipleship class ends. And it always ends, whether it's for a season and a time. 
And, and then the men trickle back over time and they tell me, hey, man, when are you going to do another class like that? I was so on fire when you were doing that class. I was so, um, you know, I was really growing in the Lord when you were doing that class. And, and it puts this weight on my shoulders. Like, like it's my responsibility to make sure these men are growing in Christ. Now, I want to tell you, as a pastor, you know what God's called me to do? God's called me to see men and women grow in Christ. That's my job. That is my job. I'm not trying to skirt it. That's my call of God. That's my passion in life is to see you all grow in Jesus. But at the same time, it's your responsibility to grow in Jesus. It's your responsibility. And, and we need to take the responsibility and place it squarely on the shoulders where it belongs. And whose shoulders is that? It's your shoulders, lovingly, encouragingly, that, that you all, you don't want to be with excuse the day you present to Jesus. Amen? You, you want to have something to offer. And, 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 and too many times we have excuses. Well, that church, you know, or that pastor, you know, they didn't do this and they didn't do that. And I'm not growing here and I'm not doing this. And in the meantime, you're doing nothing for Jesus. You know, I tell people all the time, like, it doesn't have to be here. And if God's called you to do something or go somewhere else, go with a blessing. You don't got to be mad at us to leave. But please just go and serve Jesus. Grow in Jesus, whether it's here or there, somewhere else. We're all a part of the body of Christ. And we want to see you growing in Jesus personally and intimately. We want to see God working in your heart and life. Amen? So we encourage you guys. We encourage you to be intimate with God. We encourage you to take this invitation that God has given you to go into his presence and, and be in the presence of God through this amazing, amazing invitation. I, I think it's so miraculous. I think it's so awesome. That powerful verse in, in, in 2751 of Matthew, the first word is then. I have it like circled like this in my Bible. You can't read all the words around it because I circled it so many times. Then, like, like as soon as Jesus dies, then the veil of the temple rents because God just can't wait to get you all in. He just can't wait to invite everybody to have what? Fellowship with him. To be in his presence like Adam and Enoch and, and, and Abraham and the disciples. And he just says, you all come. I just love you all. Come on in. Amen? Let's stand. Hey, we're uh, give everybody in here an opportunity before we sing this last song. Uh, Jay will be up front to pray for folks if uh, you'd like individual prayer. And uh, I'll be up front, uh, maybe sitting down up front to pray with you if you'd like prayer. And then um, if there's anybody in here today who uh, is not sure if they're born again or, or, or the Holy Spirit has been calling you to repentance and to, to give, a, give your life to Jesus, you want to become a, a Christ follower, and maybe you're not totally sure what that means, but you know that Jesus is, is real and he's calling you, and life is messy, but God is good and Jesus is real. And it's time you've come to a place in your life where you want to surrender your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord. Now listen, Jesus doesn't, doesn't accept, fortunately, um, he doesn't accept casual followers or casual, um, you know, really the commitment that you make at this point in your life that's life-changing, that really means that you're going to go to heaven and salvation. It has to be thorough. It has to be complete, a full, all of your heart. You can't say to Jesus this morning, Jesus, I, I know you're real and I know some of this is true and I feel that, that pounding of the Holy Spirit upon my heart, but I'm not really ready to give you every part of my life because I like some parts. Then, then you've you got to give it all. God's calling all, and I guarantee you that God's going to give it all back to you.
I guarantee you God's going to fill you and God's going to do so much for you and everything you've ever desired and wanted, God's going to begin to emotionally and spiritually do that and fulfill that in your life. Being a Christ follower doesn't mean life gets easier. Life oftentimes gets harder for a season, but always better, always better. And God is calling you to come home. And so if that's you today and you just need to get your heart and your life right with Jesus, let's uh, close our eyes and bow our heads. I want you to raise your hand. Is there anybody in here that wants to just ask Jesus in their heart? Maybe it's for the first time, renewed call to Jesus. Raise your hand up if that's you in here today. Okay, I see you. I see a couple of you, a couple of you. Anybody else that want to get it? Anybody else? Anybody else? Raise it up if, if God's calling you. Raise it up. All right, I see you guys. You can put your hands down. Amen. Praise God. Let's pray together. Will you guys pray with me as a church family? Dear Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I believe that Jesus died on a cross and rose again the third day. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me pray for you guys. Father, I thank you for each person that's here today, God. Thank you, Father, for this most amazing and powerful invitation that we were given to come into the Holy of Holies. God, I thank you that, that this invitation is for everyone. Lord, it's radical what happened when the veil of the temple, which used to separate the holy place from the common places, God, that, that when the veil rent, you invite us in because, Lord, your desire is for fellowship with us. Your desire is for intimacy. And God, I pray for each one of us that we would grow in our fellowship and our intimacy with you, God. Father, that we would, um, Lord, lovingly, knowingly just come to you, Lord, and, and receive from you all that you have for us, God. Father, that you begin to, to work in each one of our hearts and lives. And Lord, I pray blessing over each person that's here today, God. And I thank you for them. Lord, I pray for marriages in here today, God, that you would work and heal marriages. Pray for relationships, Lord, here today, God. I pray for sadness, Father, anybody that's discouraged through loss, Lord. I pray, Father, for any financial woes or struggles. Lord, I pray that anybody that's struggling in um, any areas of anxiety or depression, Lord, I pray healing over them, God. Lord, I pray blessing over their lives, Jesus. Jesus, we pray that the Holy Spirit would heal and minister. And Lord, we thank you and Lord, we give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's, let's worship the Lord together, if you would. It's one song. I encourage you just to use this opportunity to cry out to God. Raise your hands to the Lord if you're comfortable to do so. And just, just speak to God for one song. It's about three minutes of your life. But don't, don't, don't let this moment go away for another three minutes as you just pray. Close your eyes and pray. Talk to God if you need to. Sit down, stand up, whatever's comfortable for you. And if anybody would like individual prayer, Jay and I will be up to pray for you guys. Love you guys. God bless you guys. Have a great week.